Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We're about to get into our Bible study time. Before we do, we've got a, another question for our quiz and some text messages to get through. The fourth clue for our quiz goes like this. Who am I? King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with me because I would not worship his gods. Hmm. Who might that be? Mm, bunch of bunch of answers coming through. Yeah. Some really good ones coming through. Absolutely. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Send yours through. And uh if you get it right, you will be in the prize draw for Friday. Uh, to get the jigsaw puzzle and the music DVD. Uh who am I? King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with me because I would not worship his gods. It's All a good right. reason to make people angry. Here's some thoughts on uh, the news stories that we've been talking about this morning. Um, Margie says, morning, guys. 41 years ago, I started to use cloth nappies. There was no such thing as disposable. I used to hold the nappy in the loo water and flush the solid matter away, then rinse the nappy in clean water a few times, then soak in a bucket of sterry nappy till the next wash. I always had clean white nappies for my two babies and no environmental problems. Wow, good honour. Well, 41 years ago, you kind of had to, didn't you? I have no idea. But I didn't know that. That's really great. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know what? I think she says, Margie, that was such a classy way of writing all that information about an icky subject. Yes. Yeah. I might uh, take some cues cues from that. (laughs) It it was even appropriate for The Breakfast Show. (laughs) It rather was. Well done, Margie. (laughs) Very eloquent. (laughs) Nicely done. Okay. What What else we got there, Mon? Uh, Brett says, uh, in regards to the religious persecution of Christians in India, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 12, just another sign that we are still on the road towards our forever home. Amen to that. It's so okay, true. in verse 11 to 12, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Those are the verses that uh, Brett was referring to right there. So, um, yeah, very pertinent to what's happening in India and Pakistan right now. Braden has a really good point here. He's written in and says, It's amazing that there is so much research, both internal to our church and external, that speaks of the damage of coffee and caffeine. Yet how many churches have you been to that have coffee stands available before the service? I think that's most churches these days, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, and it's just, um, yeah. Okay, so this is the weird thing because churches are usually those places that, you know, you, you go to a church and they're going to stand up. They're going to stand against recreational drugs. Right. And they will, you know, they might be involved in rehab programs. I mean, you know, the Salvos are famous for running their rehab programs. They run mm-hmm. fantastic rehab mm-hmm. pro- programs. They do really, a good really work. good stuff. Yeah. Uh, they involve themselves in things like AA, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, they, these kinds of programs. And these are the community programs that churches are involved in. Um, Adventist churches, you know, historically used to run a lot of, well, in other parts of the world, run a lot of stop smoking programs. Smoking is not such a big thing in Australia anymore. It's kind of hard to get customers for them these days. But it's like, whatever happened? Did somebody miss the memo that caffeine is an incredibly addictive drug? Mm. And if you don't believe me that it's an incredibly addictive drug, then try, try going, going off it and yeah. you will find uh-huh. out. That's right. It is the most used addictive drug and it has horrific impact on your health. Mm-hmm. It really does. And the science, the science just keeps coming out more and more and more and stronger and stronger and stronger that this is a really terrible drug to be using. 
I sometimes get embarrassed by our church because we have had such great light from from the Lord regarding health messages. And when you see um, movements happening in the world that's starting to go mainstream, like the the turn to decaffeinated or non-caffeine uh, options for coffee that you can now get in cafes and now providing. Oh, absolutely, demand them, because that's trendy. It, yeah, it kind of makes you sort of. I don't, we become the tail instead of we the. We become head. the bogans. Yeah, yeah. Braden also said it's about time we as a church return not only to our health message but stand up as the last call is ready to go out. And looking at it at the story coming out of India, like the last call is just. Around Ooh, the yeah. yeah, you're not you're not wrong that there. Absolutely. Okay, so there's some good text messages coming through there. That wasn't actually that many, so we kind of got through them pretty quick we get not many but powerful yes yes we get to get into our bible study time it's good that we've got a little bit extra time because we're in revelation 17 today love revelation 17 we could spend a lot of time here yeah uh but we don't have a lot of time revelation 17 why don't you read for us verse one and two please mon i'll be reading from the kjv and it says this and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me come hither i will show unto you the judgments of the great whore that sits upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication okay so we've got you know, a very cryptic prophecy happening right here. Let's break it down because cryptic prophecies are fairly straightforward if you decode the symbols. Uh, so starting there in verse 1, one of the seven angels which had the seven uh, vials came and talked with me, coming say, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great hall that sits on many waters. So we're not going to talk about the seven angels or the seven vials this morning. That's a subject separate and of itself. What we are going to talk about is the judgment of the great hall that sits on many waters. Mon, let's decode some symbols here. What does a woman symbolize in Bible prophecy? A church. A church. And the water? Uh, people. People. Lots of people. In fact, if you go down to verse 15, Mon, why don't you read for us verse 15? Verse 15 in Revelation 17 says this, And he says unto me, The waters which you saw where the horse sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Okay, so there's lots of people. You know, multitudes of people, multitudes of nations, multitudes of languages. And so what you've got here is a church that is has a powerful influence over a large portion of the world. Very much so. Okay, let's back up a little bit and let's look at some other identifying characteristics that we have right here Uh, in verse 2. This particular church Mm. has been doing what? The first line of verse 2 right there. Um, The kings of earth have committed fornication. Well, she's been getting people drunk with the wine of her fornication. Before we get to that bit. Okay, committed fornication with the inhabitants of the earth? Yeah, with the kings of the earth. With the, oh, yeah, with the kings, of course. Yeah. Okay, so you know, we are, kings these days don't really have a lot of power. Kings these days are just a tourist att- attraction. Mm-hmm. But if we were to bring that through then into modern language and modern context, what would we be talking about? Modern context for kings? Yeah. The modern equivalent of a king. Oh, like a like a prime minister. Or a yeah, president. prime minister, right, right, president. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I was literally thinking about King Charles. Sorry, I got distracted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that change from king to queen is the yeah, king, yeah, 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 yeah. Because we do have a modern equivalent of kings. <laughs> yeah. We actually have a king, and his name is Charles. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but he is definitely a tourist attraction. Yeah, he's a tourist said. attraction. Yeah, this yeah. is this is a source of income for the uh, for for for, um, for selling for gossip magazines. That's yes. what he does. Yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. Okay, so we. 
we, but we have, you know, the, the, the real power is with the Prime Minister in the UK, the, the real power leaders. is the political yeah. leaders. Okay, so here you've got a church, and the Bible says that she's committing fornication, and the Bible says that she's committing fornication with the political leaders of the world. Mm, mm-hmm. So what's going on here? They're in cahoots together. They're in cahoots together. Yeah. And so when the church gets in cahoots with the political leaders of the world, what kind of a relationship does the Bible describe that as? Um, a, a, a fornication. Fornication. Yeah. Yes. A nasty word. It is a very nasty word. Mm-hmm. It is a very strong word, and it is a word that should stand out to all Christians mm. who think that we need to unite church and state. And this is where I have a major, major problem with the religious right, uh, particularly in the United States, where they have this antagonism towards separation of church and state. They're like, no, this is wrong. This is a deception of Satan. We need to get rid of this. This is a terrible idea. It's useless, you know, as a, as a basis for judging or anything like that. It, um, you know... It's just, you know, they've been trying for decades to get rid of the wall of separation between church and state. Yet the Bible says that if you get rid of that wall of separation and the church gets in bed with the political leaders, because that's what it's saying Mm -hmm. here, fornication, they're in bed together, that that is an illicit relationship. And it's never been a good thing in history. No, no, ever, ever, ever. Show me anywhere in the world right now where you have a union of church and state that it's going well. Yeah, I mean, you can even look at India right now. You could say exactly, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a prime example. We were talking about. Look at Pakistan. These are religious governments. Mm-hmm. If you had a, you know, if you had a uh, a secular government, you could have separation of church and state. Uh, Iran is probably the perfect example of a union of church and state together, and what a disaster it is. Um, you know, don't have to look far over there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. Contact us on 0491-064-669. Okay, so the Bible describes the union of church and state as being fornication, having uh, the church having a relationship with the political leaders of the world. Does that mean that the church shouldn't be a part of the conversation? No. 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 Because the church should have an opinion. That's right. And should express that opinion. Yeah, very much so. And uh, the state should listen to that. Mm-hmm. But that does not mean that they are working together. That does not mean that you are legislating a religion. That's where the difference comes in. Mm-hmm. You've got two different kinds of separation of church and state. You've got the hard separation. You've got soft separation. Hard separation is the, Ameri- is the French Revolution. Soft separation is the American Revolution. Which one went better? Mm-hmm. You know, study your history a little bit for about 30 seconds and you'll find that hard separation where you actually legislate against religion, which is freedom from religion rather than freedom of religion, mm-hmm. uh, results in terrible, terrible uh, imbalance. And so you can have an imbalance both ways. And so, yes, the church should exist in its sphere, the state should exist in its sphere, both should listen to each other, both should have conversations together, but not have a organic connection with each other. I just had a message from Sky come through. She says, hi, doing this study, I've had to look up some words and their meanings um, as things have changed, e.g. Uh, fornication back in Bible times. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, observation right there because you know you can be very specific about fornication and say, well, fornication is different from adultery. 
um, and, and, and therefore, you know, fornication is sex before marriage, adultery is an affair after marriage. Eh, the Bible is not that, you know, the Bible is not that clearly distinct on some of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really just a, an illicit relationship. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the Merriam-Webster dictionary right now and it says um, sexual intercourse between two people who are not married to each other. So, and the yeah. church and the state should not be married to each other. Yeah. Therefore, mm-hmm. it is fornication. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Okay, then the Bible goes on here in verse 2 and it says, The inhabitants of the earth have made, been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So this is date rape. Mm. You know? Yeah. Church gets in there, mm-hmm. gets them drunk, and then forms a relationship. Yeah. Okay, so what we have to do then is... Understand what's happening here from the perspective of date rape. What is the alcohol that she is so freely serving out? What is the church serving out right here to the political leaders of the world? Let's uh, take a little bit of a closer look at that. Let's go over to, let's find out what alcohol symbolizes in the Bible. And let's go to Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah 29. Yes, Isaiah 29. And we'll start reading in verse 9. It says this. Pause and wonder, blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk but not with wine. They stagger but not with intoxicating drink. Okay, stop right there for a moment. Uh, These people are obviously intoxicated, Mm -hmm. but they have not been imbibing any alcohol. Mm. Okay, that's what the Bible Bible makes that clear. It's like, okay, these guys are intoxicated, but they have not drunk alcohol. So the question is then, you know, in this prophecy of Isaiah, what's he actually talking about? What is it that is actually making these people drunk? Well, in the Bible that I'm reading, it has a little a little heading to the to the chapter. Well, the chapter, and it's, it's called the blindness of disobedience. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's go down a little bit further and see where that disobedience comes from. Uh, let's give a bit of context. Verse eleven. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate, saying, Read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. Okay. That's a problem. So take the, book, take the book somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Verse 12. Then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate, saying, Read this, please. And he says, I am not literate. Okay. So here's a situation where you have the Word of God, you have the Bible, essentially. And the Bible gives instruction. The Bible gives instruction how not to be intoxicated, how to live a life where you are not drunk on what we're going to be talking about in just a moment. And so the Bible has the answers to all of those problems. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, historically in Isaiah's time, the people of God are going far, far, far from the Bible. And so you can take the Bible to you know one of the leaders of Judah at this particular time in history and say, guys, hey, wait a minute, what about this? You know, read what the Bible says right here. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any carved images. And you and you bring it to them. It's like, look, look, just 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 read this. Mm. You know, and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I can't. It's 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 sealed. You know, it's, so it's they're cryptic. the literate people. They're the literate people. Yeah, they're they're the literate it. people. They won't read it. They won't. They refuse to read it because they're like, oh, you know, it's the, the Bible's cryptic. Mm, okay. You know, yeah. there's too many interpretations you can put on it. You can't understand it. Everybody has a different interpretation to you shall not make any carved images. So they're in their own way. So they're they're like, yeah, no, nah, it, it's a sealed book. You know, it's 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 a complex book. Uh, you, you know, 
we, we need theologians, we're not you know, theologians, whatever. So like, okay, let's try somewhere else. Let's try somebody who might be willing to read it. Take it to somebody, you know, average person on the street and say, hey, uh, you know, I've uh, noticed that we're setting a lot of idols up here in Jerusalem at the moment. Um, why don't you read this? It's like, I can't. I'm not literate. And so nobody wants to read what the Bible says because they are in rebellion against God. Now, that's historically. Think about churches these days. Mm. Think about your average church sermon. Go onto YouTube and look up your average church sermon. How much time is spent reading the Bible? How much time is spent preaching the Bible? How much time do the congregation spend opening their Bibles and reading along with the preacher up the front? You know, look up simply look up a, a sermon on YouTube and look at the congregation and see how many of them are reading their Bibles in church. Mm. The Bible has almost become absent from church these days. The, the, the pastor will stand at the front, he'll give a nod to it a few times during his sermon, say his piece, sit back down. The people have gone to church, they have not even cracked a Bible. I mean, hey, people stopped taking the Bibles to church probably 20 years ago yep. because they didn't need them. Mm, that's right. And now they've got more of an excuse because like, oh, yeah, it's in my pocket. It's no big deal. <laughs> it's true. All right, let's keep reading here. Verse 13, Mon, go for it. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honour me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Okay, so here we find the real clue to what is causing these people to be drunk. Mm. Why are they staggering? Why can't they understand what's going on? They've removed God from their hearts. They've removed God from their hearts, and their honour towards God is taught by what? Men. Teachings of men. Mm-hmm. So this is your real clue right here. The wine of Babylon is the teachings of men that then supersede the word of God. So that's the wine that the whore is giving to the king. That's kings. the wine that she's handing out. Teachings of men. She's not handing out the Bible. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. So basically it's like false doctrine that she's feeding them. Absolutely. She's going to the political leaders of the world. She's getting in bed with the political leaders of the world. How is she able to do that? Because the political leaders of the world should be replying by saying, yeah, no, no, we're not having a relationship with you because you are the church and we are the politics. But instead she comes along and says, like, oh, no, have a a taste of this, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's some false doctrine for you. And the political leaders of the world could turn around and say, where's that in the Bible? Mm -hmm. But that's not where the heads are, the the heads of our heads of state are at these days. They're not interested in the Bible like, okay, this is what your tradition is and we need to have a relationship with you. And because they just see it as being a particular tradition rather than being a... uh, you know, something where they should actually be seriously taking note of the word of God then they're like, yeah, okay, we'll have a relationship with you. We will get in bed. We will send our ambassadors to the Vatican. Mm-hmm. You know, because an ambassador is a political entity, not a religious one. So we will send our ambassadors to the Vatican and we will have Vatican ambassadors come to our country. These are heads of state. This is church and state getting in bed together. And this is based on the teachings of men. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that Jesus quotes from this in the New Testament. Oh. He quotes this exact passage right here and he applies it to the Jewish leaders in his day. 
And so here's what you've got. Isaiah writes it for his day, but we know it applies to the end of time. Jesus takes it from Isaiah, applies it to his day. And then in the gospel, sorry, the revelation of John, you've got John applying it to the end of time. So this passage is applicable to our day as well. We're going to look at how Jesus used it, and it's going to go a little bit deeper. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're talking about the wine of Babylon here this morning. And uh, Monica, why don't you get another final clue for the quiz? Final clue for the quiz. Who am I? Meshach, Abednego, and I survived the fiery furnace. It's getting pretty easy now. Yeah, that's 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 really... Um... Meshach, Abednego, who's the third guy that survived the fiery furnace? 0491064669, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so great story right there. And in fact, while we're in that part of the Bible, why don't we go over to... Well, we're talking about the wine of Babylon. Let's go over to Daniel, book of Daniel, chapter 5. I know I find it interesting that you know it's the the kings get drunk off the wine of her fornication, right? And um, when people get drunk, they get confused and they don't really know what's going on. And yet, that's exactly what happens to the kings; they get confused, and yes. that's what you know. It says in yes. the end times there's gonna be a lot of confusion going on. Have like, well, you looked the at the political landscape recently? That's right, exactly. Have you seen more confusion? So I mean, hey, even here in the in the enlightened Western wealthy world. It seems our politicians have just been getting dumber and dumber. It really has been. Yeah, and it's so, like, how did these people even get elected? Yeah, exactly. And you know, on either side, being phys- like actually physically drunk off alcohol gets you into a state of confusion, and listening to false doctrine makes you endlessly confused. It makes does. perfect sense. All right. Daniel chapter 5, why don't you read for us verse 1 and 2, please. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Okay, Belshazzar was the king of what empire? Babylon. So when and what and Belshazzar is having a feast right here and what is he doing at the feast? He's being disrespectful. <laughs> he's yeah. drinking. He's he's drinking alcohol. Okay, so he drunk. is the king of Babylon. He is drinking alcohol. Therefore, this is the wine of Babylon yes. right here. This is the wine of Babylon. Okay, so when he's drinking the wine of Babylon, uh, what does he actually do? Um, he gets drunk and he. Um, Starts to be, what's that word, blasphemous? Okay, he decides mm. to be blasphemous to bring the gold and silver vessels of the temple of Jerusalem um, and to drink wine in them. Let's read for us verse 3 and 4. Then they brought the gold vessels which had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been Jerusalem, and the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Okay, so let me give a bit of historical background to what's actually taking place here. Cyrus the Persian is on the march. He's been on the march for quite some time. Uh, when Cyrus the Persian took over the Median Empire, he kind of by default was forced to go to war with the Lydian Empire, uh, won that battle, which made him the greatest superpower in the world and a tremendous threat to Babylon. And, of course, Babylon, Lydia, Egypt uh, and Sparta, interestingly, Mm-hmm. which was just a city, um, had made an alliance against Cyrus the Persian. 
And so Babylon is a tremendous threat, so he's got to do something to get rid of the threat of Babylon. So he's marched on Babylon. And the ruling king of the Babylonian Empire at this particular time was a man by the name of Nabonidus. But nobody liked Nabonidus because he was an Assyrian. And uh, he had been married to Nebuchadnezzar's daughter as a way of keeping the Assyrians happy after Nebuchadnezzar and his father Nabopolassar had conquered the Assyrian Empire. And now the Babylonians are like, well, we conquered the Assyrian Empire, you know, 40 years ago, and now there's an Assyrian ruling over us. You know, what's this all about? You know, how come they be ruling over us? And so Nabonidus recognized the problem, so he went out in the desert to pray and to meditate and to worship Assyrian gods um, and be out of sight and gave the throne to Belshazzar, his son, who, of course, is a blood descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. That keeps the Babylonians somewhat happy. But the Babylonians still hate Nabonidus. They can't stand the guy because it's like, why is there an Assyrian ruling over us? The Babylonians and the Medes had united together to conquer the Assyrians. So Cyrus turns up. And Cyrus turns up with the Persian deal. The Persian deal was a fantastic deal. Cyrus was able to conquer a lot of the world with the Persian deal. He would turn up in a country and he would say, hey, I've got this great constitution, check it out. And the people of the country would look at that and go, hmm, that's actually a lot better than what we've got here. And the king of the country would be like, let's fight the Persians. And the people would be kind of like, well, you know what? It wouldn't be such a bad thing to be under Persian rule. And often he would conquer whole cities and countries and so forth just by negotiation. They would cut the head off their king and bring it to Cyrus and say, hey, we would rather your laws than ours. That's impressive. Yeah, so he turns up in Babylon and Cyrus is there and Cyrus is like, okay, I have this I have this constitution. It's a good constitution and you have seen that I'm a man of my word. I have stuck by my word wherever I've got. We don't need to fight. You just come over to my side. And Nabonidus is like, okay, how do I how do I rally the Babylonian people? Mm. What am I going to do here to get the Babylonians to fight for me an Assyrian against Cyrus the Persian? And so what he does is very interesting, is that he captures all of his own people's gods. Oh. And he takes them captivity. So he goes throughout all of the cities, all of the temples of his own empire mm-hmm. and gathers together all the gods, loads them on wagons and takes them to Babylon. And he holds them hostage in Babylon. He's like, we have your gods. If you want your gods back... You will fight for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, not really a great way of winning friends and influencing people. I just people want a and... little side note. If you have a god that can be captured and held hostage, probably not a great <laughs> god to believe in. <laughs> this, is a, this is a very relevant point. But needless to say, what happened was, and you can read about it right here in this particular passage, that when Cyrus the Persian uh, surrounded the city of Babylon and laid siege to it inside the city were all the gods of Babylonia. Wow. And they were all right there in the palace complex. And this is why the Bible says in verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and brass and iron and wood and stone. The reason they're doing that, because all those gods are right there with them. Because when you say gods, you mean like little statues and yeah, idols. Yeah, yeah, idols. Yeah, yeah. So they're actually physically looking at all of these gods like, oh, all of the gods are right here. They're going to protect us. We have we have so many gods right here. We're in good shape. And they're praising all of these gods and they're like, ah, wait a minute, we missed one out. Oh, yes, Yahweh. Let's go get the statue of Yahweh. Oh, ah, there is none. Mm. So what are we going to do? And at the same time, it's like there's this small problem where 
there's the former Prime Minister of the Empire, a man by the name of Belteshazzar, not Belshazzar, but Belteshazzar, also known as Daniel, who is a prophet mm-hmm. and has prophesied like, yeah, the Persians are going to win. Yeah. Daniel chapter 8 has already been written. He's already said the Persians are going to win. And the Babylonians are like, okay, this is undermining us. The Persian deal is undermining us. Daniel's prophecy is undermining us. Um, we need to show that we are more powerful than Yahweh. When we've shown that we're more powerful than these other gods because we've taken them captive. But we need to show that we're more powerful than Yahweh and that you don't need to fear Yahweh. Mm. So they get the vessels of the temple of God from Jerusalem. Closest thing they have. Closest thing they have. And they use those vessels in a blasphemous way in a drunken party. And this is the first mention of the wine of Babylon. It is a blending together of elements of false worship and true worship. So those 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 vessels of false worship, those symbols of sorry, those symbols of true worship have been brought in and placed amongst the idols of false worship. Wow. Been blended together. And this is the wine of Babylon right here that Jesus speaks about when you blend pagan religion and Christian religion together, meld the two together, that is what the wine of Babylon is all about. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, Monica, we need to talk about our quiz. We've also got some text messages here to talk about as well. Which would which, which we start with first? Uh, let's do the answers, eh? Okay, let's do answers. The answer is Shadrach. And do you know what? Lots of misspelling, but do you know what? I think we'll accept everything that looks like a Shadrach in the messages. Well done. A lot of people got this right. <laughs> oh, there's some really creative ones here. Yeah, yeah. So well done, guys. Well done. <laughs> so Shadrach was called Hananiah before being given a new name. As Azariah and Mishael were two of his friends, uh, Shadrach's friends. After 10 days of eating vegetables, Shadrach looked healthier than those who ate the royal food. King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach because he would not worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gods. And Meshach and Abednego and Shadrach survived the fiery furnace. I like that meme that was going around on the uh, on the 4th of May, you know, uh, oh, Jedi, yeah. Jedi Day, oh, when yeah. everyone's, you know, wishing everybody happy Jedi Day and may the force be with you and all this kind of stuff. And, but the meme that was going around was may the 4th be with you. May the oh yeah 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 the fourth man in the fire may the fourth man in the fire be with you I like it, it was that good. is good it was excellent very like, clever yes we can we can we can claim May the fourth as well <laughs> all right uh, Suzanne says this our church does not have tea and coffee at church or evangelism events we offer herbal teas decaf and plant based meals wow nice very trendy we're coming to your church Suzanne very very trendy indeed so somebody who is up with uh, not just good health but also the culture of Australia right now. Yeah, I bet that church is looking pretty good. Absolutely. Okay, let's uh, see here. Uh, we got need some more there. Oh, wow, there's some good spellings for Shadrach. Um, what's the next one there? I think we've got one from George. Shalom, yeah. Shalom, Brecky Show team. Great to hear you preaching the word this morning, Lyle, and for encouraging us all to make time and open God's word often. God bless. No, praise God. Yeah. It is always encouraging to... Uh, spend time in opening the Word of God and to, yeah, to, to just spend time with God every day. Very important. And a little kudos for our DJ Shell there from Patricia. She says, that's a beautiful song. Thank you. And uh, you're welcome, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Praise God. 
yeah, I think that's I think that's all of our text messages. Yeah, right just there. going through. I think we've done them all. Yeah, thank yep. you so much. Hey, if you've got something you want to message in, uh, 0491064669. Hey, do you know what? If you actually have a Bible question, you can send those in as well because, Lyle, you have a show, don't you? I do. It happens on Thursday afternoons. And, well, it's not actually my show. It's uh, Producer Shell's show when Producer Shell ceases to be Producer Shell and becomes Radio Host Shell. Oh, yeah. Um, so afternoons with Shell. And I have question and answer time, which always used to be here on the breakfast show, question of the day, mm-hmm. has now moved to the afternoon show on Thursdays. And so you can hear it over there. Uh, we do have a backlog of questions, but to date there is no Bible question that has been asked that we have not at some point answered. Oh, nice. You might have to wait a few weeks for it to come up. Mm-hmm. We usually kind of get through maybe four or five questions. I think five is probably our record for an afternoon, but we try and get through as many as we can. And that's uh, 5 p.m. on Thursday afternoons. It is indeed. Michelle. Yeah, I do miss our little quad section, our question of the day on the breakfast show, but I'm loving the fact that it now has its own special place. How glad you get. What do we have here? Is this. This is your granddaughter. This is my granddaughter singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Twinkle Power! When she goes upper key. Yeah. DJ Shell's dying laughing. (laughs) Last night, your uh, your, um, uh, your, uh, daughter in law. The video of, of your granddaughter singing <laughs> a special rendition of Twinkle Twinkle well, Little she's Star. She's two years old and she has now sung on Faith FM <laughs> radio for the first time. Youngest ever performer, is that what that is? <laughs> Not quite sure that she's ready for AGT yet, but she's been on Faith FM Breakfast Show. <laughs> Hey, if she went on AGT, I'd vote for her. <laughs> That's little Flo, little Florence. Yes. Yeah, so Singing cute. Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. <laughs> hey, do you know what? If you got any little kids who want to sing to us, call up. We'd love to hear some little kids singing. <laughs> yeah, that one kind of caught me by surprise. As soon as I heard it, I'm like, what, what, what? Where's that sound coming from? <laughs> I know I know that voice. Unexpected. I know that voice. <laughs> Your grandma's love. Couple of uh, quick messages coming through. Sky says, "Almond milk is addictive." Tim says, "The music this morning has been through the roof." Thank you, Faith FM. So, as you go through this day to day, don't forget to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.